0: Our, no, gospel lesson this morning, Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28, be found on page 15, 28 in your pew Bibles, Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28, and this is a famous interaction Jesus has with his disciples, and it's good that it's famous, because it is, um time where Jesus is once again going completely against expectations. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us, and we ask that you would help us to hear it this morning, with our ears, with our minds, with our hearts, God, that you would Speak to us this morning. And not only would you speak, we ask that you would help us to truly listen. Now that by your word and by your spirit, you continue to change us and the people that you have made us to be, we would resemble more and more Jesus. We would become more and more the people that you created us to be. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, Matthew 16, with his uh, disciples, said, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And turning to our epistle lesson from the end of the letter to the Romans, when we get to the end of this letter, Paul has a lot of greetings individuals that are named, and then, kind of in the middle of this, we have verses 17 through 20, where he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This morning, our sermon text comes from 2 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 14. Although, this is actually, uh, instead of our usual kind of going through line by line, verse by verse, this is more of a passage to get us into the story that we'll be talking about this morning. And uh, it kind of comes midway through, but it's also, <laughs> I chose this particular part of the story, one, because I think it's a good entry point into it, and two, because it's of the whole story, one of the few parts that's actually rated PG. So if you want... The rest of the details, I'll be telling more of the story, but I will do my best to keep it PG as we go through. <laughs> you know, the rest of the story, you can read it in 2 Samuel, kind of 12 ish through 20 ish, uh, in that area. And I'm just going to read it first. It's a way to get into what we're talking about today, and then we'll do some of the explanations of it. 2 Samuel 15, verses 1 uh, through 14. It's in the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land. Then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living at Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently. "'knowing nothing about the matter. "'While Absalom was offering sacrifices, "'he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, "'David's counselor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. "'And so the conspiracy gained strength, "'and Absalom's following kept on increasing. A messenger came and told David, "'The hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. "'Then David said to all his officials "'who are with him in Jerusalem, "'Come, we must flee, "'or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately.' he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. Okay. First of all, this, as we were hearing through this, even if you didn't know who any of these people are, it's okay. The story itself, as it plays out, you can see what's happening. No matter when this is in history, no matter where this is in the world, this is a situation that has played itself out thousands of times. You have somebody who's in charge, somebody else decides they would rather be in charge. And so they start sort of this uh, grassroots campaigning sort of thing, <laughs> trying to win the hearts of the people so that then you can overthrow who's in charge, so then you can be the one in charge. That's happened over and over and over again. And we see him using all the usual tricks, you know, the, the playing of the politics, the even pretending uh, he says, Uh, oh, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. Oh, I'm being so holy and righteous and worshiping God and just using God as a pretense. We see this over and over again throughout all of history. Here's what makes this story a little different, though. is when we get to the end of the story and you realize who this story is actually about. The king in this particular story is King David. And David is a mountain of a man throughout the Old Testament and, in fact, the whole Bible. We see David coming up again and again and again. David is the one who we've seen uh, over the past several weeks grow up from the little uh, shepherd boy, the one who defeats Goliath, the one who has to run for his life from Saul all the way through till he is king over all Israel. And as it is with our own children. As we've watched David grow up, it just seems like it goes too fast. So now here we have David as the king over all Israel in just like six or seven weeks' time. And, uh, and now we have somebody who's coming to try to take over the throne from him. And now he's having to flee. Here's the other part of the story that makes this significant, is that the person who's trying to take over the throne that's Absalom we were reading about, is David's own son. It's his own son who's trying to get rid of his dad so that he can be the king. Now, I hope you know, when you first hear that, you're thinking, that's, that's pretty messed up, and it is. That is pretty messed up. But when we watch David from here on as he goes away from here, David is not blaming Absalom. It's really, it's a sad, it's a a tragic story the whole way through. He's not blaming him. Because he sees what's going on as having direct connection with his own sin and his own sinfulness. How so? Well, we go back to where we were looking at last week. David we see him as the king, and he turns away from uh, looking at God and following him. And he's, we see him put himself uh, at the center of everything. And when that happens, we see him then taking Bathsheba, having her husband killed, along with several other people, trying to cover it all up. We see Nathan the prophet come to him, tells him the story, and then says, You are the man who did this. And David. Of course, to his credit, does not respond by trying to continually cover it up or justify it in any way. But he's cut to the heart. He's a broken man. He admits it. He comes clean. He says, you're right. I've done this. And so last week we looked at how the good parts of all of that, how it's a gift to be able to confess and to admit openly, this is who I am. This is what I have done. David said to Nathan, this is in chapter 12, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But, and here's where it gets to the part we tend to not want to focus on. We all want to hear about forgiveness. (laughs) That's, That's great. But sometimes what we think that means is that therefore there will be no consequences. And that's not the case. And that's one of the hardest parts of the whole rest of David's story is that what he is living through now are the consequences of sin, of the sins individually and the sinfulness of his own heart. And so Nathan kind of spells out, here's what's going to happen now. He's going to have a son who dies, then he's going to have uh, some really distasteful other things happen in his, uh, in his kingdom, even at the palace so we see this tearing apart of his family and of the kingdom and the whole thing. It's, it's bad. It's kind of like this retelling of what happened in Genesis, uh, the early chapters with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And it seems like everything's going great until they turn away and then everything falls apart. And that's what we see with David. It seems like, all right, everything's going great. Maybe he's finally the one who is going to put everything back again. He is the Lord's anointed. And we're going to start over with the, with Israel now being this new Eden, and it's just going to go out and it's going to spread through the world. He is you know, a descendant of Abraham. That was the promise, right, that God was going to bless the whole world through a descendant of Abraham. And here we have David, and he's doing this. It's great. And then it's not. And he turns away, and then his sin tears apart his whole family and the kingdom. And David gets it. And as he's going away, he goes away weeping. As he climbs up uh, the Mount of Olives, 15 verse 30, continues up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, he was barefoot. All the people with him were covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. There's a man who comes out and starts uh, cursing David as he is leaving. And one of David's guys right there says, uh, you want me to just go kill him? The king, we can do that. And David says, no. No, don't. The like, he's cursing the king, the, the Lord's anointed. Surely that's got consequences. And David says, no. I think God's actually told him to do this. I think he's actually right in pronouncing the curses that I'm currently experiencing because of what I'm facing. What I'm experiencing is not because of, uh, because of Absalom himself. What I'm experiencing is a result of my sin. That there's a difference between being made right with God again and then dealing with the consequences uh, of the messes we've made. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, man by the name of Chuck Colson, who was involved in the Watergate Uh, scandal and all that. And he actually, um, he was convicted going to prison, but through talks with the pastor before going to prison actually became a Christian. And of course, everybody thought that was awfully convenient that he would just become a Christian at this particular time and maybe he was trying to get off easy somehow and not have to uh, serve his time or whatever. That wasn't it. It was genuine and he actually saw that though he had now been made right with God, he still had consequences of what he'd done, and he was ready to now face those, and in a different way because of the relationship he had with God. So, In which case, not only did he serve his time, but after he got out, he then turns around and goes back into prison to let people know that though there are still consequences that you have to face, there is a freedom that you can find even behind bars there's this relationship with God on the one hand and the consequences that we do still have to face now i suspect that there are people here who know what this is like even if you've not been in a david particular situation or someone has risen up and driven you out of town that you can look back at things that you have done and you see the consequences playing out and i want to say If you look at these consequences and you say, because I'm having to deal with this, God must not have forgiven me, stop it. (laughs) Take a look at this. This is before the consequences were even laid out before David. Nathan says, when David says, I have sinned against the Lord, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. The forgiveness was pronounced. And then after he said, you're forgiven, Also, you've made a mess, and you are going to have to deal with the mess. And so this is where we see David as he flees Jerusalem, as he flees uh, Absalom. I would highly encourage you also to read Psalm 3. It's a psalm that David wrote while he was fleeing Absalom. I don't have time to get into all of it right now, but it's great as he uh, finds a freedom even in the midst of everything, the mess he's facing. He says he's able to sleep at night, even with all his enemies around him. He's able to sleep at night. He's being hunted. He's able to sleep at night. Why is he able to sleep at night? So I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. He knows that he is right with God, that he is with him, and God is with him. So no matter what all mess he's having to deal with, and as sad and as tragic as it is, he can still have peace in the midst of it. Okay. We get to the end of the story. Now, I'm going to tell you where we're not going to end this story. An easy way to end this story would just be to say, look, David Sen, it messed everything up, Don't sin. Would that be nice? That would be be just great. Except, I'm guessing that for pretty much everybody here, it's probably too late for that sermon. (laughs) We've probably already sinned. We're probably already dealing with the consequences. And so while it it might be nice to avoid things like this in the future, what do we do with the rest of it? Um. So here I want to look at David and Absalom at the end of the story. David was running away from Absalom we never see him blaming him. At the end of the story, Absalom actually gets uh, his hair caught in a tree while they're all in battle. He gets his hair caught in a tree the mule rides out. And he's just hanging there. He's stuck. And David's general, uh, Joab, the commander of the armies, David's right-hand man, he goes and he Finds him there, here he's there. And he says, Why didn't you kill him? And the guy says, No, 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 no. David has specifically said, do not kill him. And Joab says, Please. And he goes and does it. Kills him while he's hanging there. And they go back and they tell David that this is what happened. That the war is over. Victory is theirs. He doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to fear anymore. The person who was trying to get him has been gotten. Chapter 18, verse 33. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Joab was told, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom and, the whole, and for the whole army. The victory that day was turned into mourning because on that day the tr- troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Joab has to come and tell him, suck it. Up. But he does, for the sake of the troops. But here's where we hear his heart, and where David's heart is with this whole situation, is David sees not an enemy who's out to get me, but instead he sees his son, the one that he says, I'll say it again word for word, he says, "If only I had died instead of you, David." is not looking at the one trying to get rid of him as the challenger, as the enemy, as the opposition, as the other party involved. He sees Absalom as his son, and he loves him. He knows of the depths of his brokenness and his sinfulness, and he loves him anyway. And if you knew, if you read the details of this story, there's a lot of details in here, a reason that David would have to uh, maybe be against Absalom. (laughs) He's done some pretty horrible things. And David knows all of it. And he still says that he would have been willing to die in his place. He still loves him like that. I hope, as you hear this, there are some echoes of something else going on. That as you hear this, this is a story not only of David and Absalom, but one that hints us forward into our own story, into everybody's story. The story of the rebellious children of the true king who say we would rather have you dead so we could be the king. And though every single one of us, like Absalom, is trying to be the enemy of the true king. The true king is not the enemy of us. But instead, he is the loving father who says, I would die in your place. I know all about all of it. I know all that you've done. And still, I would die in your place. Reminded of Matthew twenty three when Jesus says on the Mount of Olives, shortly before he dies in our place, it says Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that same sort of Absalom, Absalom sort of feel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. We're not willing. Jesus treats us not as enemies, but as friends, as children. And we don't deserve it. And as we read through, you know what I'll Absalom is done, and we can go through there and pretty easily say, well, I haven't done that. But we've done plenty. We read the story of David, and we see the messes that we've made. And if the end of the story were sin messes things up, so don't sin, we would be left crushed under the weight of our own sin that we've already committed, the consequences we're already dealing with. The end of the story is not Don't sin. The end of the story is that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of even having to deal with the consequences we've already faced, that's not the end. That there is still love, there is still forgiveness, there is still hope, and there is still a relationship. One part I left out, because I wanted to end with it, is... um, Remember last week when Nathan came to David and instead of just saying, hey, here's what's happening, he told him a story. And then, hey, there was this guy and there's sheep and all this. And then after hearing the story and David thinks it's about somebody else, then Nathan tells him, "It's oh, that was really about you. Well, it happens again. And this is in um, chapter 14, 2 Samuel 14. Joab sends a woman to David. Uh, to tell him a story to try to get him to bring Absalom home at one point. And there's this line that she says in here. And then she turns it around on him again, by the way, and says, oh, this is your story, by the way. (laughs) I think at some point David's going to figure out, I think all these stories are about me. Anyway. kind of like when we read this, we're like, I think all this is about me. Okay. She says this line. She's like, water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, He devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. It's not what God desires, that we die. But he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. In a few moments, we are going to celebrate again. and We are going to remember again because we so easily forget. He devises ways, and He has provided the way so that as banished people, we do not have to remain banished from Him, but that in our sinfulness, he died for us. One more verse. It's from Romans 5. We're already read from there in the children's sermon. Ready, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this: while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, do you hear that? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? We have now come to the end of the series on uh, the life of David. But well, it was not the end of the David story, and it's not the end of the story uh, that God is telling. We will continue to hear again and again how God works through the lives of his people to make a way while we were enemies to save us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.